You're listening to a DM podcast. But at the start, we were saying, oh, you know, we'll just record it. We, I think there was a mention of an iPhone, just using an iPhone only and just uploading it to the internet, basically. And we'll do it in one cut like Richard Feidler um, with his really simple format and then sat down to do it and realised that he's got far greater skill than we do. And that we ended up with these three-hour interviews full of all sorts of, you know, what it's like. There's just all sorts of crap that nobody wanted to listen to that, and a lot of fluff. It didn't take us long to realise that we couldn't be written <laughs> We had to go for a different angle, yeah. When we started Behind the Podcast, part of our excitement was getting the story behind some of the biggest podcasts around. But what really piqued our interest was talking to the smaller independent podcast creators. It shows, like in my country, that make podcasting such a unique and exciting medium. While podcasting is getting more exposure than ever, there's still a place for independent shows covering and deep diving on niche topics. While it's weird to consider asylum seekers a niche topic, given how much presence there is in the media, particularly in Australia, what we don't always hear is the human stories of those who have sometimes risked everything for a shot at a better life. And they were already fighting on the street. There were people shooting each other. And I can see very clear the airplane. Because where we were, it was high, so you can see the building of the city. And I can see the big aeroplane just come in and start bombing the, the central of the city. And I just remember, just grab my sisters and go fast as I could to get home. And then we could not get out of the house for months. Welcome to Behind the Podcast. I'm your host, Jules, and with me as always is Anthony. Hello. Through their show, In My Country, which won the best interview at the Australian Podcast Awards, Adam and Pierre aim to tell the stories of people who came to Australia as refugees or asylum seekers and the many places we all call home. Let's get started. Tell us about In My Country. Okay, so In My Country tells stories of people living in Australia who came as refugees or people seeking asylum and also about the many places that we call home. And particularly, it's an interview podcast. It's focusing on looking at all aspects of their life, trying to expand out on the narrative of what um, we know about people who are refugees or people seeking asylum beyond you know, what's said in the media, talking about where they've come from, what brought them to Australia, what their lives are like in Australia, and what their hopes and aspirations are for the future. And before we go too much further, a big congratulations as well on winning the best interview at the 2020 Podcast Awards uh, for your conversation with Alias. It's a huge achievement. Thank you very much. Life changing. <laughs> <laughs> it was very bizarre sitting in Piers' lounge room. So, you know, all just like everyone has been doing over this last uh, six or so months around a, a little computer screen, watching something on Zoom in our uh, Zoom Eleganza. So, you know, finery on the top and board shorts on the bottom. Um, it was just very, very surreal. It was We could not believe when it actually happened. I think that we blew the eardrums of the host with our squealing and they they sent us these little packs um, before the awards with the little, what are they called? They're like things that you, when you win, you know, at a party yep. and little poppers and stuff. And we were watching the awards beforehand and no one else seemed to use them. And then it got to our lounge room and everyone was blowing their things and squealing and the woman was like, I wish you knew how loud that was. <laughs> So you've had a uh, rather meteoric rise there. Wouldn't mind just going back into your stories a bit um, and how you got started. It's a bit of a different background to what we're used to hearing. So, yeah, you're right. Neither of us come from a media background and neither of us have done any um, interviewing or podcasting before this. So I was working 
I'm from a psychology background. I've been working in refugee resettlement for about seven years in Brisbane and also in Nauru. So I was in Nauru for two years before, like right up until the point when we came up with the idea to do this podcast. That was obviously a really intense experience and, um, you know, you're kind of there on the forefront of all these things that we're talking about in, in the news and seeing a lot of it firsthand and understanding it a bit differently and looking a little bit differently at, you know, the way that people who are seeking asylum are portrayed and the limited narrative that we're seeing. So I think I came off the back of that and felt really conscious of that and quite frustrated by that because I, you know, met such an amazing diversity of people with such amazing stories and strength and wanted to be able to contribute to sort of sharing that and also left feeling quite exhausted and quite drained by that working environment where it's extremely tough policy environment, really tough work emotionally and mentally and really wanted a creative outlet. Pia, and when you say, I guess, the messaging around refugees and asylum seekers, we don't often hear about the people themselves. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people probably who are empathetic towards people from refugee backgrounds are conscious that our media and our government in particular tend to portray people who come here Um, as refugees and in particular people who come as asylum seekers so boat people in their terms in a really derogatory and negative way like that's not news to anyone. I also became aware that even on the other side of the picture people who are wanting to advocate for people from refugee backgrounds or people seeking asylum that's often quite limited as well and we talk about people as being victims and people being helpless and we talk about people a lot you know we don't often actually hear from the people themselves as he said yeah we have this blanket term of asylum seekers and and getting right down into the individual is such a different story and celebrating successes that people have had you know becoming involved in this culture and it doesn't talk about the diversity it doesn't talk about personal agency it doesn't talk about the beautiful things that they loved about the country that they've left and everything that they've had to leave behind and that you know life in australia isn't actually all just better it's you know it's tough and it's and there's things that they miss from being back home that we don't have here so we wanted to really expand that as much as we could. Adam, how did you and Pia meet? So I used to work in refugee settlement as well. So we worked together for about three years um, before Pia went to Nauru. So that, that was my background. And we've both also done a intensive summer semester at Oxford University. They have a, um, a summer school in forced migration. And so we've both done that. So having all of this knowledge behind us, we really wanted to be able to use it and share that with people in, in a different way. Obviously, you've heard some amazing stories, you know, in your time in Nauru. Do you have any kind of background in storytelling at all? I think for me, it's been a bubbling thing for a while. I've always gone to the writers' festivals and, you know, I'm a bit of a writers' festival junkie and I love listening to stories and I've got a few writers in my family and Adam and I seem to have been developing a bit of a thing of doing a lot of things together. So we did the summer school together, we worked together, we are doing a podcast together and we've also now done a graduate certificate in creative writing (laughs) together this year. So, yes, I think I've been interested in storytelling but I've never really seen myself as a storyteller or a writer. It's just, it, I think we got lucky in, but it was a combination probably of also coming from a, you know, social work psychology background and in terms of interviewing, like actually in that work when you're doing assessments with people, 
it's a similar thing. Like you're interviewing, you're trying to draw out information and get an understanding of that person and where they're at and what's happening for them. So I think we actually drew on that quite a lot. I think working in human services work, you any people that are drawn to that kind of profession, you're really interested in people's stories. Um, you're interested in the nuance. You're interested in seeing people you know, all aspects of their lives. We were always hearing all of these stories that were not getting out there in the media. And we thought, what better way than podcasting than to share what we knew and what we thought was missing from the conversation. Did it take any convincing from either of you? Or who was the, the ringleader in this, I suppose? I really feel like it was a joint thing. So we started out and we had the worst name possible, I think, because <laughs> our first name was actually, who are these people? I'm trying to lean into that whole thing of, um, you know, who are these people? You know, thinking of the racist uncle that's um, sitting at the dinner table that doesn't really know about the people that are coming over to our country. Why are they coming over here and stealing our jobs and they should get back into the queue? It took us a long time to go from that name to actually finding in my country. But the, our whole process has just been us discussing things and unpacking things and, and trying to share the workload as much as possible. We don't really have a lead. We always talk about everything in depth um, for all of our episodes. As you can hear, one of us is the interviewer and the other person is there just as the support and then takes the role of the narrator in the episode. Uh, and then we shared that evenly between our six episodes. So three each for, for the lead interviewer and three each for the narrator. Everything is a conversation, I think. Well, whatever you're doing is working. So let's delve into, I guess, your process a little bit. Initially, I guess you styled your show on the ABC show Conversations. Yes, you've done your research. We, like, as I said, we have no background in this. We had absolutely no idea what we were doing. And I think had we not started pretty much by doing all the interviews first, we never would have actually made this podcast because we then committed and we felt like we had to follow, follow through for people but at the start we were saying oh you know we'll just record it we I think there was a mention of an iPhone <laughs> just using an iPhone only and just uploading it to the internet basically and we'll do it in one cut like Richard Feidler um, <laughs> with his really simple format and then sat down to do it and realized that he's got far greater skill than we do and that there, we ended up with these three-hour interviews full of all sorts of, you know, what it's like. There's just all sorts of crap that nobody wanted to listen to that, and a lot of fluff. It didn't take us long to realise that we couldn't be written for <laughs> We had to go for a different angle, yeah. By having done those... Um those interviews, we really felt, as Pierre said, committed that we had to get the product done. Like by having sat down first and foremost for you know, three, sometimes even more than three hours with each person, we felt like we had a responsibility to then do those stories justice. But that process from doing those initial interviews up until actually releasing the series, um, I think from the first one, it was about three years ago. So it was a, a really, really long process from that really naive let's record everything with our iPhone and, and just put it straight up into the cloud to realising very quickly that what we'd done didn't do the stories justice and it wouldn't do an audience justice. And how would we actually then learn and teach ourselves how to edit it properly and create something that does the, um, the guest justice and is something that people would want to listen to as well? You did actually do all the interviews first and then do the editing following to sort of see what you had to work with there. Yeah, exactly. Because initially we thought that, um, yeah, we could just put this up on, on the internet and someone's going to listen to a three-hour conversation that we recorded. So we really were completely naive. We had no idea what we were doing. You know, both of us are podcast fans and had been listening to podcasts, but we just thought, yeah, yeah, let's do this. These are great conversations. We'll put them up on the net. We couldn't see the tricks behind the magic. No, not at all. <laughs> And we hadn't done any research. Did you do a bit of time in between each of those to kind of just listen back and, and try and work on your interview techniques or anything like that? Yeah. So the first interview that we did was Alias. So I had an idea that I wanted to record some of the interviews in a location that was meaningful so that we could sort of ground it in place. And Alias had said that Mount Kutha, which is a mountain 
hill overlooking Brisbane reminded him of Quetta where he'd grown up in Pakistan. So we went up there, but we didn't go up and scope the site beforehand. We just rocked up with our microphones and then walked around and found that there was we could have a windy spot or we could have a spot near a refrigerator or we could have a spot near people having dinner or we could have a spot near the waiter polishing the cutlery (laughs) and instead of (laughs) instead of going oh maybe this isn't gonna work tonight we sat down and did the interview anyway and we chose (laughs) i think we really made the worst choice we could have and we sat near, (laughs) near the guy polishing cutlery you couldn't get a seat next to the person playing the drums (laughs) (laughs) and it was running the bar as well so the blender's going off in the background while they're making cocktails it was just like any rookie mistake you could make we made it in that first interview luckily one of our friends dave works is an audio engineer and we shared it with him and he was just straight away going guys what are you doing i've told you this he told us probably the same things at least five times before we got the message you know find a nice (laughs) quiet space make sure that you've got time for the interview and then also edit you know think about the audience think about who's listening and when potentially they're going to get bored and tune out and that's where you need to start editing and cutting it together and I think without Dave we wouldn't have this podcast because as well as giving us that advice he then helped to polish it he did all the levels and and all the final editing to make sure we had the product that we we ended up with at the end and in that first cut with Alia so when we had we ended up re-recording that interview. I edited that one together in... We were still sort of going for the that conversations with Richard Feidler format without the narration. I remember coming up with... After just what felt like so much work, I finally was ready and we sent it through to Dave to have, you know, a critical listen. And he was like, nah. <laughs> There's, I, you know, you need to get to those good bits faster. I want to get to this bit. And we so we did really rely on that narration to be able to fill in in those longer sections and be able to summarise quickly and then be able to get to key stories. So that was an amazing piece of advice. And I remember feeling really frustrated with Dave at one point, like, I don't want to hear this. I don't I don't want you to tell me this. Leave me alone, Dave. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great advice and it, it's shaped what we've done. How was it doing the interview a second time? It was. I was really worried about that. I was thinking that we're not going to get the same quality of conversation and it's not going to feel fresh anymore. But Alias is just an amazing storyteller and I, it, because it was so long ago now, I'm sure there were things that he said in that original interview that we didn't get the second time. But, you know, as you hear in the interview, he's got so many insightful things to say and so many different takes on um, the conversation that we're, you know, the way that we usually speak about who refugees are, that the proof is in the in the interview. Absolutely. And it's quite poetic that you were nominated alongside conversations and beat them. Yeah, that was just a surreal moment because, uh, as Pia said, having them as the kind of inspiration that we were going for and then to be nominated, for us, that was enough. Like, we were actually on the day that we found out about the nomination, we were recording a panel discussion. Um, So we were asked for from a virtual uh, festival to do a panel discussion with some of the guests from the podcast to kind of unpack the idea and some of the discussions. And Pia yeah, came in and told us and we were just all completely blown away and thinking, great, that's it. We've got nominated. This is amazing. You know, maybe we can aim for winning in a couple of years time. And and then, yeah, and then it happened. So (laughs) that's why we were screaming, screaming the house down when we won that award. And you release a podcast every Thursday. Was there any science behind that or did you just pick the day or? Oh, I'm sure there was a bit of science behind it. I think weekly it was um, just to keep engaged with the audience. Um, We were looking at 
I was looking at the podcast that I listen to and what days that things particularly come out. Uh, I talked, we talked to a few of our friends as well. Um, so we have that diversity between people who listen to podcasts on their way to and from work. But also there are some people who are parents that listen to podcasts when they're having downtimes, if their kids are sleeping, if they've got young children or preparing meals at home, or sometimes people just do it on the weekend. So we thought it's a bit in the week, so you can listen to it if, if you're doing the work thing. But if, also if you're listening to it on the weekend, um, it's still relatively fresh. Pear, does that help your mum listen and give the feedback that you seem to rely on a little bit? My mum? <laughs> yes. she. Well, we um, had finished every episode before we released anything. So we knew, you know, after two and a half years that the rate at which we are able to um, put out podcasts. So we decided that we would have it all lined up pretty or close to finished um, before we started releasing anything. But yes, my mum was one of our main critical friends. Yeah, Brilliant. And you stuck to the weekly release except for episodes, I believe it's three and four with Iago. Those were, you split the interview into two parts for various reasons. Did you find there was any difference releasing two shorter episodes as opposed to a single longer episode as the rest of the series is? Yeah, we did. We had lengthy debates about whether to split that one or not. And we put stuff out to our Facebook friends and asked people to comment on what they would prefer to listen to and tallied up all their answers. And I think in terms of downloads and listens, and I don't think that there was a big difference. I think that, and the numbers of downloads between that the first part, so part one and part two of Iago were quite similar. So I think that most people who listened to part one did go on and listen to part two, um, which was something that we were unsure about. But yeah, we were wondering around, particularly because for Iago, he's anonymous and we had to change his voice so that it wasn't recognisable. So it's a little bit harder to listen to than the others because of that distortion. If we had done his episode as one, it would have actually been a similar length to Marcella, which is our longest episode. But we thought to make it a little bit more digestible with that voice distortion that we would do the audience a favour and split it up. So we thought at the end of the day, I think we we prefer to do the work for you and split it up for you so that if you, you know, if you're getting tired, we've split it and you can take a break now at this point that we've divided it up. And if you're still into it, you can just click on the next one in a couple of days and keep listening. But we didn't want people to be halfway through and get tired and turn it off. Personally, I find that worked for me. When I started listening to the first few minutes, the first thing I did was I, when I heard the distorted voice, etc., I looked and went, how long is this? Mm. I went, oh, wait, wait, it's a two-parter, so this mm. is obviously very good. And the other thing I looked at was it's about a 30-minute running time. I went, you know what, I can go through this. And by the time I got to the end, it's like, next one, let's yeah. go. Ah, <laughs> that's really four. cool. That's Give me part two. So Yeah, awesome. I think even with the, dis- the hearing the distortion at first, you, you think you're probably going to lose a lot of this person's personality personality but you know Iago's got personality in spades so that definitely wasn't a problem for him oh my god yes like we were we were a little bit devastated because he is such a storyteller as well and um so so expressive but we just couldn't not do it because of a lot of stuff that's going on for him still in Australia so um glad that that still translates with the distortion on it Thanks for sticking with it. Yeah. So oh, thanks for making it. Reluctant to use like the word talent, but the people that you speak to, they are all fantastic on the microphone. They've all got such mm. wonderful stories. What was it like getting mm. them involved and, and where did you meet each of them? Yeah, so we knew pretty much straight away a few of the people that we wanted to interview from our work. So both of us knew Alias through our networks. Um, so he was one of the first people that we, act- we thought about with the podcast. And as well as Lily, Lily came through our networks as well. And then from speaking to Lily, we wanted to speak to her mum. And I think Pia knew of Tenzin and um, was able to connect us with Tenzin through through her networks. So it was all people that we knew of, 
But um, I mean, our process is that we sat down with each person and usually spend around an hour doing a pre-interview and just talking about the process. What would it be like to share your story? What would this mean? Is there anyone that would be affected? What do you want to talk about? What's off off the record? So even though we kind of knew their stories, we, we still spent a really good time with them to prepare ourselves and but also to prepare them with that process of, of sharing stuff so publicly. And then from that, we sat down with people usually for, you know, two to three hours and just just had a, a really long, comfortable story. We, we bought a lot of food. We would sit around and drink and chat and laugh and just try to help people to feel as comfortable as possible. So I think that process of having a bit of a relationship with most of them, but also building that relationship through our process as well, I think helped the stories to come across as, as well as they did. And actually, one thing I just would love to add to that and love people to know about this podcast is that we didn't go hunting really hard <laughs> to find great stories we literally, out for us, we wanted diversity. Mm. So we wanted people who had come by different means. So, you know, people who come by boat or come by plane or come, you know, with refugee status or had come as still an asylum seeker waiting for that recognition. So we wanted that diversity. We wanted, we wanted different countries of origin. We wanted different ages and different genders. But it happened very naturally and we didn't have to go around hunting for talent this these were just people it was almost like the first six people that were happy to talk to us there would be so many other people that we could speak to who would have equally incredible stories to tell well it bodes well for season two (laughs) (laughs) so after the initial the first interview that which you redid were you traveling to people or were they coming to a location that you had uh, we were all over the place. <laughs> we tried to go to people's houses often. I think most people we went to their home and I think that just helped in terms of creating, you know, a comfortable environment and said it, we wanted it to have a sort of lounge room feel and feel really relaxed and just feel like you were sort of having lunch with a friend a little bit in a way. And then in terms of recording the narration, we were anywhere from often we were in my kitchen Um, under a flight path (laughs) waiting for the cars and the planes to pass and making sure we turned off the fridge Um, and literally if you'd listen to our narration track you'd hear oh no i can hear a car okay pause oh no there's a plane oh no there's kids playing in the yard like yeah (laughs) one of the rare times that the covid would have actually helped you with a lot of planes kind of yes Um, but then eventually twigged that a friend of ours has a studio that he's built in his shed um, and he offered that to us for free in the end. So we ended up having that as a space for the, nar- the rest of the narration, yeah. You've said it obviously takes a village to put something like this together. Can you tell us mm. a bit about the other people who've helped you out along the way? I know you received some legal support as well. Yeah, I think that's probably part of why our process was particularly long. There are a couple of other layers that, um, again, we hadn't considered really. Even if someone has been granted refugee protection and even potentially citizenship in Australia, one of the criteria for assessing someone's refugee, like um, eligibility for refugee protection in Australia, it does include... So first you're looking at whether they qualify for the UNHCR's definition of a refugee, but you're also looking at character checks. Part of character checks can actually include things like looking at whether there's consistency in their story. So if someone's part of their claim, they've outlined their background, what happened to them, the dates, the people involved, the date of birth, that kind of thing. There's ever inconsistencies in that. It can be a signal that maybe someone's made up a story or, you know, that kind of thing. When you come from a country where there's a completely different calendar or a completely different alphabet, um, 
or you've experienced significant trauma and so your memory has been impacted, all of that can really impact on consistency of information. So we were we were really conscious that we were putting out quite a lot of specific detail about people's personal histories and that if that contradicted information that was in their refugee claim, that it could put them at risk. So we went through a process of requesting copies of all their refugee claim documents from the government through Freedom of Information so that then we could cross-check all of that with the information that they'd shared in the interviews just to make sure that they, we weren't putting any risk on anyone. Uh, and then on top of that, it was just uh, as well as having all the support of uh, our friend Dave, who did all the audio stuff, we would have people, once they heard about what we were doing, they just wanted to help us. So, for example, I was at the markets one day and talking about it and saying I needed to make a website. And a guy who I don't really know very well just said, oh, look, I know how to make websites. I can do this for you. And so I think I think people were really... Yeah, really inspired by by the podcast and really wanted to help out in whatever ways they could. Do you have thoughts for season two and what you'd like to try and do? We're keen to have a bit of a break up until the start of next year, but we have had a, a good brainstorm about our ideas for the next potential couple of seasons. So we've got ideas uh, for individual um, episodes. We've got potential ideas for some cross collaborations with some other podcasts that we love um, and then potentially a mini series so um, a mini series on on one particular topic so it's all it's all a bit pie in the sky at the moment it's been a massive year for both of us so we're we're very keen to have um, the rest of the year off and then start of next year sit down and really start working on season two awesome and what's the reception been like from the podcast in general it's been really really nice we were one of the things that i worried about a lot before we put it out was trolls particularly with the content and the fact that people were putting their lives in the public domain and they're not people who are already in the public domain and sharing so much of themselves and really making themselves vulnerable to be able to share a story and I was worried about people who would find the podcast and get on and and troll them and attack them personally we haven't had any of that I don't think we've had (laughs) we've had a couple of like there was one comments on Facebook yeah Yeah. I remember getting one and being like oh Adam we got our first troll and then I and it was some kind of um question that was sort of challenging whether people should be here or something along those lines and I just gave them a friendly response and tried to challenge it with some links to stuff and the person ended up saying, oh, thanks, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, tr- not, well, not significant trolling anyway and just really some really nice feedback from um, people who've listened. That's been one of the, the coolest parts about it actually is to put it out into the world and to actually have people listen to it and tell us that they love it and be able to tell the guests on the show that they love it and what that story and we often get and I think another part of it that's been really amazing is share you know the power of sharing your own story and how that's been quite cathartic for a lot of people that we've interviewed I can't remember if we included this in Marcella's episode or not but she was sort of like this is this huge thing that we don't actually always talk about in my family like not all of my children know this story and my grandchildren don't know this story and this is a record now that they can have yeah I think it's been incredibly validating for a lot of them to be able to put that out into the world which has been really cool and I think one of our major goals was that um, we really wanted it to be a positive and empowering process for the people that we were interviewing so we didn't want them to feel like there was anything that they didn't have in control over and that even Iago um, even though he hasn't put his name on it just for the process for him to share his story has actually been really cathartic for him mm. Marcella's episode was incredible I am very close to a Chilean family been very important in my life and they come from exactly the same time and situation and I they've never spoken about it 
and I felt like I was listening to their side of the story. And when the dates popped into the episode, the timelines all matched up with what I knew. I thought, gee, look, I never knew this. It's sort of, I'm God, Godfather, their parent, their kids, um, best man at my wedding. And I knew none of this. So I found it incredible. So I really appreciate what you did. Yeah. It- and really appreciate Marcella opening up. So, yeah, it's quite cool in that respect in terms of those specific communities of migrants who, who have that shared experience and there's like a little a little thing out there in the public record now that they can share. Yeah, I think we all take our, our own stories for granted in some ways, but these ones really are quite exceptional and it's amazing to hear. Obviously, you know, we've all been listening to your podcast. Can you tell us about a couple of other podcasts that you listen to or that have inspired you? I mean, both of us are rabid uh, podcast obsessives. Um, I probably listen to at least, oh God, I'm going to say about 30 plus uh, different podcasts per week. But I think for both of us, one of our favorite podcasts is Heavyweight uh, in terms of the way that it's so beautifully scripted and it's so raw and so vulnerable. And yeah, it's just a beautiful one, but it's also incredibly funny and absurd in many ways as well. So I think he, like he just, Jonathan Goldstein, who creates the that. Master. He's a master. Yeah. He's just absolutely Kits the nail on the head for um, single episode interview podcasts. Yeah, that's my absolute all time fave, I think. But I'm a big true crime junkie, like any woman in her 30s, and just like will digest all the true crimes. I think we're, we're both really big fans of and trying to get more of our independent Australian podcasts. The podcasting landscape is completely saturated by, you know, a few big companies from Australia and then so much content from the US. So it's really nice to be able to get stories from Australia. So there's some great mm. ones that we both love. Um, Silent Waves, which I think was released one or two years ago, uh, independent podcast uh, about a woman and telling her family's story and a history of abuse within that family. It's harrowing. It's it's quite a hard listen, but it's absolutely beautiful and really, really well made. We're both introduced to it through the Australian Podcasting Awards. We love Jay Uwe's, um Shoes Off, who you've already interviewed. He is just amazing Such what he's able to game. do. Yeah. yeah. Also, Bird's Eye View, which won Podcast of the Year, what they've done is so cool. So that's women inside prison in Darwin talking about what it's like to be inside. So I just love hearing different perspectives because we've talked to Adam and I have talked a bit about the that like the podcast circuit. Also where there's people like on the road promoting their latest thing and often if you listen to the bigger podcasters, a lot of them are talking to the same people. And some of that's great, but it can become, you know, you're hearing a lot of the same thing. So it's I love it when you hear someone different with a new story to tell and I really think that everyone has an interesting story. It's not just people who are public figures that have something interesting to say. You can talk to anyone. So I just want to give a shout out to one podcast that I recently discovered called Frontier War Stories, which is a Brisbane-based podcast by a guy named Bo, and he talks with Indigenous leaders, like young people or people, about First Nations history in more detail. And I really like that podcast because, for me, that's an area that I'd like to learn more about, but I'll often pick up a book and it's dry and historical and I can't like I want to do it and I, I don't I get tired and I go to sleep and the podcast like brings those sorts of stories to life in a really colorful way because you're listening to interesting passionate people talk about it fantastic recommendations there for people to get into over summer as two self-described Australian born people of privilege you've done an incredible job with that perceived privilege any advice for anyone else who wanted to start a podcast I think when the privilege question that is a big thing for us and it's something that we've spent a lot of time thinking about and don't take lightly and still kind of ponder (laughs) so in the making of in my country I think it was really it was kind of an obvious 
topic for us because we're so connected to it through our work. But not long after starting it, I remember being like, whoa, hang on, we're actually doing that thing. And is that okay that we're a couple of white people putting out a podcast about refugees? Like suddenly maybe this is not okay. And there were moments where we thought, should we just completely back out and not do this? The people that we've interviewed to them, um, they're really supportive and it felt collaborative and it felt like something that we were doing together and they appreciated that. And so that felt really genuine. And And we wanted to make sure that they had control over the whole process. So, you know, going through that, the pre-interview Um, you know, finding out what was on the table. But also, actually, when we finished or got the first kind of edit, we would go through it again with them and say, is it, you know, what does it sound like? Is there anything that's in here that you don't want to actually go out there? Is there anything more that you want to say? Uh, And try to give them as much control over the process as possible. And we also spoke to a couple of, so I found and I was contacted a couple of academics at University of Queensland. So Dr. Aparna Habani, who looks into media representation of refugees, and she's from a Um, a migrant family Um, so I contacted her and asked for her feedback yeah so I think if there's other people who are interested in exploring stories of minority people and they're not from those minority backgrounds like yeah I think it is a tricky it's a really tricky space and I think all I would say is just like give it that weight that it deserves and and ask lots of questions and talk to lots of people and check yourself and don't try to come off as the expert like there was a couple of times, it's not in it too much, but there's a couple of times where we purposely left in, we'd say something and the guests would correct us. So there was one example that comes to mind of in Lily's episode, I talked, talked to her about the, you know, how long it took to, to acclimatise to life in Australia and she hates that word and she, she corrected and told us about you know, what she sees the process of being in Australia. So I think we tried really hard to, to not come off as the experts and, and to, to let the, our guests guide the stories and, and how the language, what kind of language was used in the episodes as well. Yeah, and I think we just decided that so we're trying to be allies, mm. like that. We're coming from a genuine place of trying to be an ally and trying to share that load <laughs> that often just sits with um, minority voices. Mm. Well, I think you have achieved that, and it's a it's a great podcast, and and obviously you know most people who are here will have listened, and if you haven't, give it some time because it is fantastic. And thanks for giving us the time today, Adam and Pierre. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. A big thank you to Adam and Pierre for taking the time to sit with us at Behind the Podcast to talk about In My Country. Hope you've enjoyed our conversation. This is a partnership between the Australian Podcast Awards and DM Podcasts. Head to the Australian Podcast Awards website to see all this year's winners. 